HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal in New York. Hey, it's April 9th, 2013. We've got an awesome show. Thanks to our sponsor, GrapeBrewers.com. If you want to learn more about the world of beer, beer education, and uh, check out the Beer Cloud to find out where to get your favorite beer, go to GrapeBrewers.com. And thank you to our other supporter, Good Beer Seal, GoodBrewerSeal.com. Right now, there's 41 New York City beer bars that serve and promote Really good craft beer. All right. So this is an awesome show, a very special show. Um, we've done a few shows in the past about cider, and uh, one of our favorite cider makers in the world uh, is Tom Oliver. He's here uh, from England. He's collaborated with Greg Hall, our buddy, formerly of Goose Island Brewing, who's now uh, starting a Virtue Cider in Michigan. So he's uh, done a lot of great things, but we have some of his ciders here today, and we're joined by Tom Oliver. B.R. Roya and Joel Shelton uh, from the Shelton Brothers who import it. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jimmy. Great to be here. The first question I have to ask is please say your name and the, and the village that you're from in England. Okay, so my name is Tom Oliver and the village is Ogle Pitchard in Herefordshire, in case anyone in Herefordshire is listening. All right. And B.R. and Joel, how did you guys uh, ever – you guys have so many beers and ciders with Shelton Brothers and you guys are started in Belgium and, you know, you're in – France and, and New Zealand. How did you guys ever meet Tom, and how did you guys ever start bringing in cider in addition to your excellent beer portfolio? That was uh, Joel's brother, Will, Joel and Dan's brother, who uh, traveled to England and said, hey, I, I just had a revelation that cider can actually be good. It's not an overly sweetened beverage to get you drunk. It's as complex as a good lambic and is interesting, and you know, there's that sense of terroir that comes out of it from... The, growing the local orchards, the local apples. It's a very traditional cider-growing region that Tom will tell us about. Yeah, and we've seen a, a big change in, this, in New York City the last two years. has been Cider Week New York, and at my place, Jimmy's number 43, we're selling more cider than, than wine now. And also, you know, there's a connection to agriculture. We're trying to really represent the, 
cider makers who grow their own apples, and we know some cider makers in New York who also grow, grow grapes and make wine, and they're making cider. So, Tom, I know you kind of fall into that category. Tell us a little about This is a family business. It goes way back. Tell yep. us about Oliver. Yep. Uh, cider's been made on the farm for through the last three centuries. And uh, at this particular moment in time, uh, I think we see cider as probably having the brightest future that it's ever had because the interest is not just from the diehard cider drinker, but younger people now switching on to the possibility that cider definitely offers them something that's special. And uh, this, in in turn, is meaning that we can make better ciders because there's more purpose. Um, So we've taken it from being a farm gate, uh, just a... You know, whoever turns up with any old container, you'll fill it. Uh, in the last 15 years, the whole thing's turned around in the UK. And uh, I think that's spreading around the world now. So growing up, y- your your father was making cider and wine? It, yeah, it, my dad was a more a fruit wine uh, maker. My granddad was a uh, made cider. And my granddad made cider because it was demanded to the workforce, uh, enjoyed the cider in the summer when they were making hay. Uh, you know, you sweat a lot, uh, you need to replace the fluids, and cider was a good, healthy way of doing it. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, these, these things have to move on, and uh, you can no longer do that. Um. We have another guest here, Tony Forder. He's the editor of Ale Street News, one of the leading uh, American craft beer magazines. So, Tony, you're from England as well. Tell us a little, a little bit about the, the cider culture in England. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit, Jimmy. I'm from Sussex, and the first time I ever got drunk was when some friends of mine stole some cider from the neighboring <laughs> woodyard when I was 13 years, and it was quite an introduction to cider. But um, it's a really a great alternative uh, to beer. I find it um, really refreshing, uh, sort of as an aperitif kind of thing, um, or, or a daytime drink. Um, but it's very popular, you know, all over England. Yeah, t- Tom, tell us more about the cider culture in England. Okay. Well, uh, it, there's there's always been your diehard cider drinker who will drink the still dry ciders that uh, are the way that the apple, when it's fully fermented, uh, will give you this dry still cider. But nowadays, they're, they're able to sparkle ciders, carbonate them, uh, introduce some sweetness. And so they have a real appeal across the board uh, from, your, from the, the dry uh, wine drinker to the younger person who wants a little bit of sweetness and a little bit of fizz um, and... and this gives you just a, such a breadth of choice with cider. This, this cider that you're trying here, this Gold Rush, uh, this was the uh, cider that Greg Hall and myself uh, made together. It was the first transatlantic uh, link-up in terms of cider. And um, it's a full bittersweet cider made with the classic cider apples uh, like Yarlington Mill and Dabinet that grow uh, in, in the orchards of uh, Herefordshire and down in uh, Somerset and Devon and all the cider growing uh, apple growing counties of England and uh, it's got some bitterness it's got some dryness, it's got some astringency uh, got a, a sort of barnyardy, farmy feel to it too, um, got a nice apple sweetness to it and a little bit of that acid giving you some zing to it so it's a big full drink um, and this, this is the sort of drink that really represents what bittersweet cider apples can give you and uh, some people love it some people are a little bit put off by it um, but we're, uh, I'm very pleased to say a couple of weeks ago um, at Glincap, which is the Great Lakes Cider and Perry competition, there were two ciders that were awarded gold medals in the English cider section, and this was one of them. And, now, uh, was that in America or England? Uh, that was in uh, America uh, at the Great Lakes. Because yeah, uh, Greg uh, Hall, of course, is a former Goose Island brewer who is now um, into cider. So. 
So is, the, is that a new thing, the Great Lakes? Uh, the they, they've been going for at least at least eight years, and I'm sure someone will correct me on that. Uh, but they had over 450 entries uh, this year, which was double the entry from previous years. Uh, it, it, it was a great example of just how much uh, cider is now being made at a craft level in America and how the interest is, is, is growing. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. You know, the choice now is, is exploding. Um, and I think that's a, the great thing that you get with cider is choice. Uh, and it's up to you to make the choice of what you like. Well, there's so many styles. Another guest here today, it's uh, Clint Carter from Men's Health. He just put together a really awesome uh, beer piece in the magazine. Clint, uh, do you guys get t- to taste a lot of ciders in the course of your magazine work? Yeah, yeah, we do taste some ciders, but I'll, I'll say that um, I haven't had this Gold Rush, and this is excellent. I love this. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of the, the sort of the, the things that I like in like a good saison, even that dryness, okay, a, a little bit spicy and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm certainly interested in exploring more. I'm kind of a diehard beer drinker, um, but you know, I anything that I can taste that, that tastes as good as this, I'm interested in uh, drinking more of. No, I definitely feel like that. Uh, for us, the last couple of years in New York uh, with Cider Week in New York, we've been exposed to a lot more, you know, traditional ciders, everything from Astorias in Spain, where it's super funky and tart, to your interesting English ales and uh, I mean ciders. I'm thinking beer in my head, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, but let's let's raise our glasses to you, uh, Tom. Yeah, I mean, and, and I want to talk more about about. Just tell us about your your day in in your life, man, because you grew up. It's a farm. And you've been part of this. It's like the cycle of what? It's agriculture, and you're making you know, alcohol. Yep. This uh, is like going back, well, how many years? It, Hundreds well, of years, right? Yeah. Well, it, it is. But, of course, I can only really talk about my time, uh, you know, the, the, the small amount of time I've been here. And what's, what's happened for us is on the farm, we were, hop, we were uh, for all my youth, hop growers as well. And, and hops, which I know is a main ingredient in beers, which is so close to everybody's heart here, uh, it, we... We, uh, I was hoping that hops would sustain us. Ooh, Ooh, that beautiful, like that. beautiful pop from one of those bottle conditioned <laughs> ciders there, and uh, the, the the hops would be the main cash crop for the farm. But in 1999, this ceased to be, um, and so what happened is we had to we had to work out diversification is the name of the game in agriculture on small farms in the UK, and one of the options for us was to take the cider and perry and make it into a, a larger. Uh, uh, I use the word commercial concern, but I, I think that's almost laughable. It's, it's, it, we don't, I don't make cider as a commercial concern. The, the first and foremost is I try to make cider that is the best. Uh, and then from there, I hope I can make it a great commercial concern. But I want to make the best cider. As we, you know, that, that, that's the point of doing it. Um, BR, so, uh, like, for example, the Gold Rush, which is the collaboration with Greg Hall and Tom Oliver. Uh, where in America, like, what cities can you get this in? Uh, well, that opens up the can of worms of distribution in the U.S. But I would say in most of the major cities, you can get the Gold Rush uh, as well as so the Chicago, Oval, Chicago, San Francisco. San Francisco, Boston, yeah, place Philadelphia certainly. Um, but it's uh, yeah, we we came into cider. I mean, cider was part of our portfolio before I began with, began with the company. But you know, there was a lot of us don't really know that or didn't know that much about cider. Uh, Lauren Shepard is. Our cider expert, she's out in Colorado, and she's the one who, who deals with Tom on a day-to-day basis. But um, he's also introduced us to some other fantastic U.K. cider makers, including uh, Hogan's uh, Ciders, and also we have Henny's. Um, we have several cider makers from... I've had, I've had the Henny's, yeah. And yeah. I think we've got Hogan in. We're going to have a tasting. Yes, we are. If anyone's in New York City, 7.30 tonight, Jimmy's number 43. Tom Oliver is going to give a tasting of ciders. 
Yeah, and we also have a few from the North America. We've got West County uh, from in Western Massachusetts, Apple Tro from Wisconsin, and we started recently. We're bringing in a Normandy cider, uh, Duperche from La Mertière. And Joe, how does this work for you? I mean, you know, you're one of the Shelton brothers. You get to do all these fun things, beer, <laughs> of course. Uh, do you, do you get engaged in any of the cider events or cider makers and all that stuff? Well, whenever I have the chance. I mean, we've been talking about cider on our show a lot. We, we admit, the Shelton Brothers, that is, and most of our employees, that we don't really know enough about it. And we're kind of learning as we import, which is a good way to learn because you get free cider. But uh, <laughs> I've actually learned as much about it today as I have in all the time previous, just being with Tom and hearing about it. Uh, we, we deal with so much beer that we don't even... You know, we have so many breweries. We deal with small breweries, and now we're just getting into cider. And Lauren, as, as was mentioned before, Lauren, our representative in Colorado, is the expert. and She's been pushing us to appreciate cider, and we kind of make fun of her just because it's just fun to pick on a girl, you know. But hey. uh, we, Oh, then BR, too. We, we don't pick on beer. But, uh, you can't it, pick on beer. Yeah, we didn't grow up with it, you know. None of us grew up with it. We drank beer as kids, and cider was juice when we were growing up, and so we all have to learn about it. And Tom grew up with it, and he's teaching us, I think, in the U.S., that, that cider actually uh, can get you feeling really good and uh, can have be as funky and as interesting and complex as any good beer. And I think it's going to start taking over a huge part of the alcohol market, honestly. I mean, we're loving it. It's just a matter of time before we sort of learn more about it, and that's true of the American people in general and people everywhere else. Tom, uh, have you tried a number of American ciders? I have. Uh, you know, not always the case, but I am a cider drinker. I make it, but I drink it, and I would much rather drink other people's ciders than mine. So uh, Farnham Hill, I'm very familiar with uh, Steve Wood's number of great ciders from there. Uh, uh, Greg Hall ciders, I know Red Street, uh, and I'm looking forward to trying Lapinette and the Mitten. Um, and I try everywhere I go. If there's a cider available, I'll try it. And, uh, you know, and the great thing about it is now... Um, the, the the whole approach to cider in in America, I feel, is a lot more ordered. Um, in the UK, it's still bound up in the traditions of the farm, and the it fits in with the season. And uh, at the end of the year, when you've got all the rest of the harvest in, yes, you'll get the apples in, and you'll make cider, and then you'll you'll drink it. Whereas I think coming into America, I just see a lot more application of science, a lot more thought about it, and I'm I'm really excited because I think the options for quality are are fantastic, and and without quality, you know, you're, you're lost. So yeah, I think uh, that's true. One development I think we've seen a lot is that um, you know the ciders that were available say five years ago, uh, ten years, five years ago, tend to be really on the sweeter side. And what we've seen you know in the last couple of years is really a broadening of the whole category of the you know getting more traditional drier ciders uh, into the market. So there's just um, you know all, all kinds of um, you know it's really just uh, there's a lot more available availability into the uh, traditional. And we're lucky here in New York in terms that we have the Hudson Valley, you know, just up north. And a lot of those cider makers are combining both or they're they're focusing either on a British cider tradition or a French cider tradition or combining the two or doing something completely different. So there's a really nice range that we can get here in New York City. We're fairly lucky being in an apple growing region. All right. Hey, um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes to talk more about cider with Tom Oliver on Beer Sessions Radio.
You're listening to Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni with a special guest, Tom Oliver, the finest cider maker and perry maker in England, and a whole bunch of people from Shelton Brothers, Illustrated News, and Men's Health. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, Joel Shelton, tell us about, you just popped another cider from Tom Oliver in England. What is it? Uh, let, me, let me read the label there, Jimmy. Oliver's Herefordshire Cider Medium. It's a very basic name, Tom. Mm. Um, Tom, we talked earlier today with you about uh, your preference in cider. You said you want it bone dry I like and it, still. Yep, bone this dry. is medium. This is going to be a little to the uh, to the right of your preference. Yeah, uh, but I hope uh, while you were drinking it, th- this is a cider that's conditioned in the bottle, so the sparkle is derived from the fermentation finishing in the bottle. It's got a, a lovely apple sweetness to it, which is the unfermented apple sugars, but there's some nice acidity to balance it. And then you've got those beautiful tannins, which give you a little bit of roughness on the tongue at the end, give you some some real depth to the drink and some length to it. Um, and but this is really quite sweet. But because of the because of the tannins and the acidity, I think it's I think it holds together really well as a drink, and it's not too off-putting. Um, Tom, this brings up a good point. Um, the, the number of styles that you make, you're making ciders and perries, dry cider, medium cider. Tell us your philosophy behind All that. Right. Well, uh, it's 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 a disaster area in terms of sensi- sensibilities because what we try and do at home, uh, if you walk into our cider house, uh, I hope to have at least a dozen, if not sixteen, different bottled ciders, and that I'll find a cider for you whether you drink cider or not, and that's the idea. So we range from dry to sweet, from still to sparkling, and everything in between. Uh, and then that's just the bottle products. We have draft products, so we'll have dry, medium, and sweet ciders. We'll have single variety ciders. So those are ciders made from individual apples. Um, apples like the Yarlington Mill, which is not a classic single variety apple, but it makes a beautiful, warm, uh, uh, gentle, apple cider. Um, and then we have Perry's. And we haven't even started on the perries, the single variety perries, the blended perries. So I hope that when anyone comes to our cider house, and you know, do feel free if you're ever in Oaklepitchard in Herefordshire, please come and visit us, um, and you can try 20 different ciders and perries. Tom, if, if someone doesn't like any of them, do you force them to like one when they visit you? I, I try. <laughs> I try not, and never to resort to violence. Um, but uh, but I sort of try to do a bit of a pleading thing, and then if that doesn't work, I, I just say, you know, have some cheese. <laughs> yeah, I would mention you uh, mentioned the fact that uh, the young young uh, generation is really getting to ciders. I can verify that that my both uh, daughters, one who's not quite drinking age yet, but the other is, uh, they really do like cider a lot. 
I, I, I trust that you're bringing them up very properly then, Tony, because uh, exposure to cider is a great thing. And I think the whole thing that's, that's happened in the UK, um, and, and it's known as the Magnus effect, it, cider was introduced and it was made to become a trendy drink that young people really enjoyed. Um, and you, you would pass bars in London at 6.30 in the evening when everyone tips out the office. Young people will be out drinking cider. Uh, that was unheard of 10 or 15 years ago. So, uh, you know, cider has seen somewhat of a revolution there. And, and I, see it, I see it going through a similar growing process with different things urging it forward over here as well. One thing, I, I actually have a funny anecdote. Um, yeah, cider has come a long way. Back in the 90s, there was this English show, Absolutely Fabulous. Does anyone know that show? <laughs> Ab Fab? Okay. Yeah. So there was one episode where, you know, the two older ladies, they were the wild partying chicks from the 70s, and, and their children were, like, kind of mild and meek. And they would go out, and after their, you know, study session, they would each, like, share a can of cider. And it, they, 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 they made fun of it because it was, like, it wasn't considered drinking. And I think in the back of a lot of our minds that, that cider wasn't really considered, like, a drink. But only now, with the, you know artisanal producers, do we do we consider it that way? So, I, I, is that funny I, or it, no? <laughs> it's, it was funny on the show. <laughs> if you have, let's pull up that clip. Come on, absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested, Tom. Do you, are there when you when you taste around um, when you're here tasting different <laughs> ciders? Do you feel like there are uh, a lot of bad ciders that are uh, creating a bad impression for for the overall category. Uh, I, I I just think that the, the ciders are made for for a purpose, and you know what I might deem as a cider that's not appropriate for me is 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 probably because it's been designed for a, an eighteen year old lady who's going to drink it in a in a hot nightclub at a very chilled temperature, and it's and it's it's going to be just what she wants to drink, but it certainly won't be what I want. To drink. But what, what are some of those brands? Because I don't want to drink that stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Over here, you've got to get your trusted Toss says, what is it? Magners? What are these? Well, I was just going to say, you could go there if you want to meet 18 year old ladies. That's, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that I've, I've certainly had some ciders that uh, made me think uh, more along the lines of Zima or something like that. But um, these. Whatever happened to Zima, by the way? Uh, it's Enough. a shame. Cut right? it, cut it. Cut it. <laughs> Back yeah, to there is, I'm sorry yeah. I brought up the Magnus. There is an area where they're adding all kinds of different fruit flavors into, you know, yeah. commercial ciders, which is, you know, it's kind of like the uh, flavor malt beverage kind of thing. So how, how do we know? Like, how do we – because one thing that I like about the new hard cider scene is that it's, it's a specialty product. I can get it at Good Brazil bars like Jimmy's number 43 and specialty, you know, stores. But if I walk into the, the typical, you know, wherever you get your, your drinks – I wouldn't get a cider because I, I don't want to just get an apple alcohol product. You know, I, I think I think this is where cider is really up for grabs, um, and I think I, I certainly think Greg Hall has come in with a, 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 an angle on this. You know, his early ciders are only available on draft, and uh, I think that in itself gives you an idea of where he's targeting where he sees the opportunities uh, because you do i want to be able to walk into a, a, a pub anywhere in the world and get a good cider on draft uh, and it's not possible at the moment uh, and it's not possible in england all the time uh, don't, don't don't think that you know it's some sort of mecca of good cider the hardest place to find good draft cider is in my home county it's an extraordinary thing but we we struggle you know um so you're more likely to find good draft cider in London. Um, so it also has like an identity crisis where there's there's really good ciders like yours and Farnham Hill that we love, and then I'm getting pitched all the time. It's a cider, but they've added honey or maple syrup. 
So it's it's more of a like a beverage, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, this 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 is a tradition actually uh, started from uh, when cider first arrived in in America, uh, Mayflower, uh, and and Boston. From there, there's a, there's the tradition, as I understand, of using raisins uh, and honey in in ciders, and this is not just for meads, but it's for ciders as well. And it, it just makes cider, um, you're almost taking it back to its roots here. So I, I'm not sure it's a bad thing or a good thing, but it's, it's just another way of selling cider. Well, Beer, we, we had is, uh, the terrific gold rush that uh, Tom made with Greg Hall, and we just had the Her- Herefordshire, the medium. Uh, is, are there any more ciders or parries here tonight for us to talk about? Uh, not no, we don't have any more ciders or Perrys, but we've got plenty of beer. Let's pop some beer in. and let's let's talk. Let's go into Perrys since we're popping beer. The one nice thing, one thing I did want to mention about uh, all of Tom's ciders is, and this is what we really enjoy about them, is that they're all naturally fermented, and you know he uses the wild yeasts that are there on the on the skins and in the air to ferment the ciders, which really creates just a really nice character to them. Yeah. I think wild, wild yeasts are, 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 are so interesting, and uh, I admire every beer person that dabbles in the wild yeast world. So uh, there's a taste of Britannomyces in here. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the, but you can get, in ciders, you can get what appears to be a, a Brett influence, and it's not actually coming from the Brett. But, yeah, there, there are some flavor uh, aspects that re- definitely uh, uh, hinge on. Well, the acidity of the apples reminds you of the Brett sometimes, right? Yeah, <laughs> the uh, uh, you know. Uh, I think I, you guys hang out too much. Today. <laughs> yeah. Joel, Sean, and Tom. Let's flip this. Okay, now we're talking about Perry because we got cider down. Everyone kind of knows cider, but Perry—that's pear cider. Now, how is that tradition different in the process and all that? Okay, so uh, you uh, you got to understand with with Perry, and uh, we're talking about Perry made from Perry pears. Now, this is a particularly unique uh, uh, type of fruit. Uh, it's an inedible pear as a whole. They grow on great big old trees that are massive. They, these trees are 100, 150, 200 years old. They stand out in the, uh, in, in the countryside. Uh, and when they blossom, which is about now, it should be in the UK if the weather was half decent, uh, it's, these are great big trees covered in this white blossom. They look absolutely fantastic. But there's very few of them. Um, so true perry made from perry pears is a, a very scarce uh, uh, a drink. And uh, therefore, uh, in order to make uh, a commercial use of the popularity of cider and therefore pear cider has been invented. And pear cider is a drink made from whatever people put in it. But I can suggest that there's a little bit of cider in there. There's a little bit of uh, imported pear juice and there's a little bit of this and that and the other. But once again, um, you know, perry truly a traditional product from a very small area of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire uh, and it's a fantastic drink and uh, a worthy a, a, a worthy um, addition so, so typically tell us like you know when you're, you're growing you start by growing trees so yeah. this is agriculture yeah. Yeah, you're growing is. apple trees and you're growing pear trees what's, what's the minimum age for each tree before okay. you can make a quality product okay so uh, y- you can get all different sorts of trees with different rootstocks that, that give you maturity at different ages but the traditional trees on, uh, on tall stems standard trees for apples it's 10 years for pears it's 30 years before you get a commercial return this is this is a this is a lifetime's investment in 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 land and in trees and in looking after them the the newer varieties going on smaller rootstocks and bush things you can get yields after one two or three years 
so uh, commercially, there's some great things going on in in in, in breeding technology uh, to get these smaller trees uh, fruiting more quickly. Um, but I will say the best ciders I make come from trees that are 70 or 80 years old or more. And that's because they're nitrogen deprived. Uh, the fruit is, um, they are beyond doing anything other than just let them grow. Uh, you know, you may get the sheep or cattle grazing underneath them, but these not nitrogen starved trees give you the best fruit for working with. So how does that relate to, I know like with wine, they have old vine wines. Is yeah. that the same kind of thing? You would, but we don't extol the virtues of old uh, uh, apple trees. But I really think it's 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 yet another possibility. You know, um, maybe I should say uh, I was reviewing some of the ciders and perries I made a few weeks ago, and what became clear to me is I need to really remember the old trees produce the best fruit for making the sort of ciders and perries I make, uh, and I, I can't get away from that. It's a fact. Do you do any uh, distillation? I don't. I wish I did, uh, but I think I've left it too late in my life to start distilling because, you know, the you know, to get a cider brandy it needs to be at least three years, so that's a, like a five-year period from now. Well, if I wanted a good twenty-year-old, that would put me at. Hmm. Don't give it away. Okay, okay. <laughs> and BR, what was I was going to say, Tom, you, you grow some of your own peri pears. Yes. But then Lawrence told me great stories of you just driving about, sometimes collecting it, pears from. Yep. I, Other I, sources. I, I, I've, I, I'm, I, I love finding peri pear trees, and I love finding uh, reasons to go on to people's land and uh, you know and scrump ciders and uh, perries rather and uh, cider apples. Uh, I did discover a variety called Copy um, about ten years ago. This was a variety that had been lost and was an endangered um, uh, variety. Nobody knew where there was a, a, a tree with this variety on, and I just happened to find this one tree in an orchard an old orchard and uh, so we 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 save one variety a number of people have found other old varieties so we've now got uh, a, a situation where we have 120 peri pear varieties preserved um, in at least four different locations in the UK uh, which is fantastic so in in terms of agriculture in terms of biodiversity uh, and in terms of just preserving the the history of something uh, it's 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 ongoing and it's exciting that's amazing you know for me too like i love all the new real great hard ciders but the really good old school peri is like your peri is amazing and i've had christian Druen from uh, yeah. normandy okay. and his peri really stands out as yeah. well yeah there's a fantastic uh, poires from from normandy uh, uh, you know i'm i i i think uh, i think if 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 you give it that it's the rarest of raw materials then in order to uh, you know make the most of it, we should make the best perry from them. Excellent. Hey, let's stop on that note because that was the best thing I heard all night. I'm looking forward to drinking Perry's Insiders tonight with Tom Oliver, um, one of our favorite cider makers in the world at Jimmy's number 43 tonight. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Off My Mind by Pamela Royal on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Loudest, Tony Ford. Illustrated News, Editor. Poet and flautist. <laughs> a little bit of the culture of England. There's a guy who's a beer editor, yeah, he and he also plays flute. Amazing. And you got a guy over there. They grow. Thank you. <laughs> it's, the, it's the peri tree, you know. The peri tree brings out. He doesn't even have a flute. He made that noise with his mouth. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, so, hey, we're, Tony, you were down at Craft Brewers Conference. You, you do your, your annual Ale Street News trip to Belgium. Tell us what's going on. You got these beers that yeah, are I bought, really awesome. Yeah, uh, I bought a couple of beers. I bought, of course, we did our annual trip to Belgium. And what can you bring back from Belgium except West Flitter and Twelve? And we yeah, let's pop it. Why not? Okay, let's I never pop had that, that in my life. Okay, really? Okay. Yeah. You know the rarest beer in the world, supposedly, but uh, it seems to be getting a little more available recently. Thanks to the Sheldon. And on that note, Sheldon. Sheldon Brothers, what did you guys do? It was over the winter. You guys did a short. Allocation. Tell us about this West, uh, West Flatterian thing, because people went nuts. We did a very brief five-minute presentation of West Flatterian. What it was in December? I mean, it was five minutes because it sold out so quickly. Jimmy, uh, they, the monks, the monks there needed to raise some funds. They don't sell beer in the states ordinarily. They need to raise some funds to fix their fix their monastery, and so they asked us to sell the beer in the states, and it turned into a big mess. You know, because everybody wanted it and not everybody could get it. So you had to establish rules. Uh, we had some kind of rules, and some people were upset because they didn't get it, and some people were happy because they did get it, and it turned out to this to this big PR problem for but us. You did, you did something. You, you basically hey, I didn't you, get it, and I was upset. You, you sold it only in retail it. shops, right? What was tell us? No, certainly not in bars. Yeah, no, it Certain was only. And this, a lot of this was uh, after long discussions with the monastery, and the monks were very adamant about that. They did this in Belgium as well; that it was only going to be available in retail shops, and it had to be sold for a particular price. And we tried to make sure there, there were a few problems but on the whole um made that that it was available and at this specific price we didn't well, want people i know it's a cult it's a cult item and i, I have to say I'm, I'm kind of the guy that doesn't i'm not into cult beers because you, i feel like there's so many good local beers and so many other beers that we can import and ciders that when i have the okay, west flatarian i'm tasting it now and people have said oh the saint bernardus is the same beer or even a, a to me one of my favorites is in your portfolio the akel Brewery, which Occo, is also which is, Trappist. Yeah, For me, the Akko is is the top Trappist brewery. Well, th- this beer is is called the best beer in the world sometimes because of the rate the rate beer and the um, beer advocate they because it's so rare, it's like hogwash, and it's strong and rare and strong. I mean, basically, and it, it it doesn't mean it's the best beer. I mean, you can't really say what's the best beer, but it's rare, and that's what sort of launched it up there. It's and a it, very good beer, and yeah, it's also yeah. personal preference. On you know, Ockel is definitely they're one of the two Trappist breweries who actually the monks are involved in the day to day process. West yeah. Lutteran is the other. So West Lutteran and and Ockel, and tell us a couple of your other top Belgian beers because you guys have. So, I mean, we're talking about ciders and berries, but really, well, the Cantillon in general, Cantillon, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is also. So rare, but not as rare as this. But uh, deservedly, Cantillon is, is brilliant beer. Tom, do you them. like some Belgian uh, beers? Yeah, Cantillon beers are fantastic. They, they just they just take your whole mouth on a whole different journey and pull you pull you left and right and up and down and leave you long. Leave you. It's just. I think we need some flute music to go with that little. <laughs> Lib- yeah, living in the past, yeah. <laughs> this is the the ode to the West Lutheran. Many of us have never tried it, and I just did tonight. And many of you may one day. But I will say this. There's many good beers in this world out there. And many good ciders and perries. Tony, I think you visited some of our other Belgian breweries. Yeah, I, I can't say with the, uh, with the uh, West Flatterin that we did see evidence of the, um, 
the reason they sent that beer to the U.S. was to raise money. There's a whole new wing on the monastery, which, uh, you know, and a few, like, new uh, SUVs around, but we won't talk about that. But, uh, uh, yeah, we did go to the Struis. Uh, they, um, very interesting, our group of 30 sat in their schoolroom. They inhabit a schoolhouse, and Carlo there gave us a talk. And they were doing a lot of construction around there, so it was no heat, and it was freezing. And we were sitting in the schoolhouse like good little school kids and because they kept giving us beer and that's your belgian trip great beer yeah <laughs> they, we had the uh the armonk and the um the jesus beer which is let's, let's talk about this because now a lot i think many people listening have never tried this beer so it's the west Valetarian. which one is this is there a particular beer or it's is just it the one 12 beer? yeah which is goes uh eight ten and twelve all right so what's the quad six, quadruple six, ten, or what yeah, it's a strong. It's basically the uh, classic dark Trappist dark strong ale. It's nice. Uh, it they use about the candy sugars in this. It's called it? twelve because that's the uh, degree, but it's actually about ten point five, eleven percent alcohol. It, I think. It, it My favorite be, is the eight. It should be noted, Jimmy, that that, that the the, monk, the beer the monks drink is actually the lightest alcohol beer, which I think is about six percent, something like that. I think it's even less. It's one, less the, the one that they drink is actually not available commercially. It's yeah. just something that they make for yeah. themselves. It's, their, it's a table beer. It's like an Abbey single, I guess yeah, we would call it. The real strong Belgian um, Trappist beers are sort of a new invention in, in the big picture that, that, that are made to sell commercially. They're not really what the monks would ever drink. The, uh, the story with the St. Bernardus is we actually stayed at the St. Bernardus bed and breakfast where we drank the uh, ABT-12. St. Bernardus used to make uh, the beer for St. Sixus Abbey, which is West Flatteran, and then in the 90s, um, their contract ran out, and that was when the Trappist said, if you want to be a Trappist, have the Trappist stamp, you have to brew in the monastery, and that's when West Flatteran brought the beer back in-house. Meanwhile, West uh, St. Bernardus kept making the same beer. They just changed the name. So we did do a taste test, actually, uh, late at night in the bed and breakfast between the St. Bernard's 12 and the West Flatteran 12. And it was a preference, but I, I know if I should do <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is cool. A little background. You went to Belgium. Shelton Bowes has some cool things. Tom, so you, you also like beer as well as cider, I'm sure. I, I enjoy anything with some, some character and some taste, but I, I will share this with you. There was a, a time about uh, five or six years ago where a group of cider makers from um, England went over to Hasselt in Belgium to uh, do a sort of weekend of talking about cider, selling cider in a wonderful old cider, uh, um, not a cider barn, in a barn that had been converted just outside Hasselt. It was a fantastic weekend. But what what started to happen was in the evening after everything had died down and finished we'd go to a bar in Hasselt and it was a it's I don't know which what it was called but it had the most incredible selection as I'm sure lots of bars do and uh, what we decided to do on one night was start from the strongest and work down well I know that I personally got to the 16th beer before I retired hurt Um, and some people went on longer than me and uh, but uh, we all awoke the next day, eventually, uh, with the sorest of heads. But having had a fantastic experience, because the the difference between all the beers is extraordinary. E- even when they they seem to be similar, they're not. Uh, there's a, there's a just, and I, I love the variety. All right, so that was West Lutheran. Tony, you brought another beer. Yeah, uh, What's talking this about one? going from the strong down to the lighter. This is actually the symposium beer that was uh, brewed for the conference down at DC. The craft brewers it conference. Was a, yeah, craft brewers conference. It was a big, uh, bit of a quick change around for us because we got back from Belgium on the Sunday and then down to DC for the conference on the Tuesday. Uh, it's called Beggars and Thieves. It was a collaboration between uh, three breweries there, and interestingly. 
typically these conference beers uh, get a bunch of brewers together and they make something really strong with tons of ingredients. This is more of a session. It's called anti-imperial rye lager. So that at four point eight percent, four point nine percent. So it shows you there are different trends in the crap brewer industry than just making strong beer. So as, I know it was made by DC Brow and the Brewers Art and uh, Devil's what Backbone or uh, something? Devil's Backbone, yeah, right yeah, in so, Virginia. Yeah. So it was a Virginia, DC, and Maryland. Exactly, that's pretty yeah. great. Let, I want Tom to try it too. So Tom, I think this is going back talking about what the what the the. The monks at West Valeterian actually drink, and, and also Sheldon Brothers. For me, you were always pioneers in, in session beers. You know, five six years ago, when everyone was just coming up with their Imperial IPA, it was Dan Shelton who said, "You know, we've got Tiraz Extra, and, and we've got you know Taras Bulba. Well, you know, all these real like sessionable but flavorful beers, like four and a half percent. That's what I like to drink." Well, Jim, we're so far ahead now. We're beyond that now. No, I'm just kidding. No, but. Um, we were just talking about uh, the new thing being a session beer, that collaborative brew. I think it's a trend right now, which is a very good trend because beer, the essence of beer, is something you drink a lot of, that you can, you can handle a lot of beer at one night. I think Tom would understand that. Growing, uh, you guys would understand growing in England. A set, uh, you know, session yeah, beer idea. Absolutely. I mean, 4% was the uh, standard for bitter. And uh, even the Fuller's ESB, for example, 5%, it was like, whoa, that is strong. But that's where beers start over here. It's yeah, cool, a, right? a lot of flavor, but not too much alcohol. Yeah, that, uh, and that's one of the harder things with cider, because if, if you take it as it is just the fruit with the fruit sugars in it that the sun over the over the growing year has given you, then some years you'll get a 6% cider. But on a year when you have fantastic sun and maybe not much rain, you can get seven, seven and a half, eight percent ciders. Now that puts you into something that's half the strength of wine. And that does mean that in terms of if you're if you're selling cider as a publican or whatever, then you really have to be aware that you've got to charge a good price for your product because otherwise people aren't going to drink more than one or two pints if you're drinking pints. And Clint, let's get you on here. So Clint Carter from Men's Health. Uh, you you sent me like a number of emails for like a year. Yes. You guys came out with an awesome beer article, but you're you're also doing something about looking at nutritional aspect of beer. Yeah. So um, I you might not have understood how we were using all of the answers to your questions, but we were. Um, so when you would recommend beers to us, we would send them off to a lab, and so we were looking at a lot of. Uh, we were looking at calories. We were looking at folate. We were looking at polyphenols. I know it's a much different different way to approach beer, but that's something that you know at least our readers are concerned about. So that's something that we care about too. Um, but what we wound up doing was looking at a lot. We we took thirty really amazing beers. Um, we sent them all off to a lab. And uh, what's interesting about beer that it hasn't really been acknowledged fully yet is that it has a lot of the same like really nutritional qualities that say wine has been getting a lot of attention for. So it's got like polyphenols in there. Um, the yeast gives it a lot of B vitamins, so we were looking at that. I mean, there's actually a lot of really good things in there, which is why there's a lot of you know, research out there to suggest that people who drink in moderation are healthier on average. So we were looking at that, among other things, and just sort of uh, uh, geeking out on delicious beer, which is something I think we can all do. <laughs> So, Tom, do you think that drinking beer and cider is a part of a healthy lifestyle? Uh, <laughs> I think you've only got to look around this table to see that uh, uh, these are uh, six bodies that are uh, tuned to perfection. And, uh, and therefore, We're buff. Yeah, so, so, you know, I think, that it, 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 you know, here's the evidence. Tony's going to play some flute while I do my soliloquy. Thank you. <laughs> you know, beer and cider, it, it keeps you going if you... We had a great song. It was called I Like Beer, and it summed it all up. Sometimes you drink liquor, it makes you sicker, and 
you know, wine, wine can slow you down because it's too much alcohol. But for me, beer and cider, you know, 4 to 6%. That's what I can drink. It keeps me going. And it gives me extra energy. I feel like if I had a good beer the night before, I wake up the next day. If I don't, I just get tired. So... What else can you say about that? It's, you can send in your answers to us at at, uh, at beer underscore sessions on Twitter because we're going to start a conversation about beer is healthy for you, man. I think it's part of a healthy lifestyle, you know? And BR, you got something to say. Uh, <laughs> you, you're an athlete. You, you play hockey. You do all these things. I'm a reluctant athlete. But you're part of a healthy lifestyle, and, and you, know, you, you consume beer. And, uh, yeah. Well, what's hockey without beer or beer without hockey? It makes you violent. You can get out there. And I, I but Jill, you don't have a healthy lifestyle, so you don't count. But I mean, <laughs> Tom sure does. Well, when, when I uh, when I, I went to high school in Belgium, and actually my my main sport, which I've been doing since I was about eight or ten years old, has been horseback riding. Um, I no longer compete, but I still ride every week. And uh, when I lived in Belgium, they would do these trail sort of trail rides. I guess. I mean, we went through farmlands and through small towns, but it always went from from the barn. We would go ride through the woods, through the farms, to another town sit down at the cafe and they would have beer and wine for us and then the horses would get their snack and we'd come back out and get okay. back on our horses. So. so since we're talking about some of your great beers like West Flutarian, okay, so if you're out horseback riding and you had to pick a Shelton Brothers Belgian beer, what oh. would that be tonight? It's going to be one of the lower alcohol ones well, for give sure. Give us a name, come on. I would, I would probably have to go with one of the De La Seine beers simply because, or the Bink Blonde. Oh, that's a tough one, Jimmy. You put me on the spot. Well, Bink Blonde is pretty awesome. I would say that uh, beer goes very well with yoga. I've done beer tastings with my yoga class. <laughs> Shout out to Joe Sixpack, the writer in Philadelphia. Who, his wife is a yoga instructor. He does uh, yoga and beer tastings also. And what about you, Joel? Do you do, do, do anything healthy with beer? No. Okay, no, you're out. No, and Clint from Men's Health, what about you? What's a healthy and beer uh, I, I'm combination? I'm a cyclist, and something that I see over and over is that Anybody who rides, seriously, rides a bike, also finishes every long ride with a beer, which is like astonishing to me. It's all over the place. And Tom, work, working on the farm, and, and tell us again the village you're from in England. What's okay. it called? It's Oakle Pitchard, and uh, it comes from Oakle means ring of oaks because there are a lot of oak trees there. And Pitchard is because it, the whole estate was given to a knight uh, who helped uh, William the Conqueror in 1066, and he was from Picardy. So we've got uh, the Ring of Oaks, uh, Piccadilly, and it's Oakle Pitcher. So what's like? You're working on the farm. What do you? How do you finish your day with a healthy beverage? What do, What would you choose? Oh, you, you choose a cider, and uh, you choose a dry cider, and uh, I, I always choose not one of mine. I think I think I know mine back to front. But well, I uh, tell you what, we're leaving here soon. We're going to have a quick meal at Roberta's. And then we're going to Jimmy's number 43. We're going to taste all of Tom's ciders, including the Perry, which really stands out. If you haven't had Perry, you've got to try it, and it, you'll, you'll be a fanatic for it. And uh, even for the price, it's not that expensive. You know, the, we, we, price does come up. Yeah, dead right there. You know, there's not that much Perry out there. Not that many people appreciate it. But when, when you try, like, Oliver's Perry, you'll get it. And you should have the best. Don't worry, don't worry about the price that much. Yeah, beer is still cheaper than wine. All right, so hey, we're gonna we're gonna do a quick run around. Everybody here is doing something cool. Tom, you're in town. The last thing is, what's going on in Michigan with uh, Greg Hall? Okay, so uh, Greg and me are going to look at uh, Gold Rush was the first um, uh, combination between us. Uh, the second combination is going to have the word West in it, but. Uh, the second side is going to come out at the end of May, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, blending it and launching it uh, with Greg in Fenville and then in Chicago. All right. And, Clint, what's uh, the next beer-related thing you're doing with Men's Health? Uh, well, I'm always drinking, and I think that that's significant. But the, the, the beer package is 
in the magazine that's on the stands right now. We've got Garrett Oliver talking about the best places to travel. Dale Talday giving his ode to cheap beer. Um, Charlie Banforth, really smart guy, helped us devise this really great beer test that you contributed to. So a lot of cool stuff in there. And awesome. Hope you would check BR, it out. what's going on with the Shelton Brothers in the next couple of weeks? Well, we have the festival, round two, taking place in Portland, Maine on June 21st and 22nd. Uh, we're doing that in conjunction with 12% Imports and... All of our brewers, cider makers, and mead makers will be there pouring their beer, cider, and meads. And we'll also do a lot of events around New York City with a few of the, the, the producers who are coming in. Looking forward to that. And, Tony, what's going on at Ill Street News? Are you still selling that Crafty Carton? Yeah, Crafty what? Carton. We're on version 3 is coming out now. And, uh, you know, it's like I think liquids are cool in a carton. I saw somebody – there's water in a carton now, like, uh, you know, it's cool in plastic. Not that that's an issue with there. So it's like the takeaway growler. Takeaway growler in the carton. It's uh, the hotels are really cashing onto it. You know, you take take it to your hotel room or in glass free areas. And then I am also recruiting American brewers for the American Pavilion at the Mondial de la Bière in Europe. Uh, for and when uh, is it? That's in Strasbourg, France, right? Uh, they moved to oh, a town they? called Mulhouse, which is spelled Mulhouse. Um, in they, France as well. Yep, in Alsace. And uh, so and I'm is trying. That, to, is that tied into the, uh, the the Montreal beer event? Yes, it's the, it's their it's their European version of it, and I'm putting together the American Pavilion again. So that's terrific. Yeah. And Joel, you want to say anything else about the festival or anything? Uh, BR said it all. That you should all come to the festival. It's the best collection of uh, brewers, cider makers, and mead makers in the world in one place. And uh, the best thing is I'll be there, <laughs> and I'll wear a name tag, and you can come up and talk to me. All right. Okay. Well, hey, so uh, check out our website for more events, and you can always go to goodbrazil.com and learn everything about beer. On June 14th and 15th, Savor, the premier beer and food pairing event, will be held in New York City. That's the Brewers Association. They're awesome. Check them out at SavorCraftBeer.com. And we're organizing a very interesting thing in New York City uh, that weekend. Uh, a bunch of the Long Island breweries, who are all our friends, are going to come to many good Brazil bars, including Jimmy's Number 43, and do special tastings. Because at Savor, they only select certain breweries from around the country. And uh, we're going to rock out Savor in New York City. All right. Can I mention something, Jimmy, real quick? There is actually a cider festival uh, in Long Island uh, in the fall put on by Andy Carmano. So that's the first one ever. That's awesome. And we also have Cider Week New York, which is coming back in October. So we've got a lot of cider going on, and we'll have more shows. And I know Greg Hall is coming to New York tomorrow. Hang out with Tom. And one more thing. I'm going to give a little shout-out to our good friends. Uh, After five years, Beer Table uh, will be closing its doors in Park Slope. They'll be searching for a larger space with a full kitchen. The closing day is set for April 27th. So go check out Beer Table while, while it's up. I'm sure it'll be back. And right now you can go to a Beer Table Pantry and uh, Grand Central Station. So that's it. I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com. have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Brew Seal. So thanks to Tony, Clint, BR, Tom, and everybody else for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Joel Shelton, too. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joel Galarraga. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.